Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our amazing patrons. It's because of you that we're able to do the things that we do. If you like our show and you want to support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash theforgeherald. Thanks everyone, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm your host, and I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts. Hi, I'm Nolan. And I'm Cody. Gentlemen, it's a new week, a new podcast, a new whatever, anything cool going on? Cody, you mentioned you might be running a one-shot soon. Did you get that set up? I'm getting there. Um, starting to try to get uh, this game put together for 5e over Roll20. So, so it's going to be Dungeons & Dragons then? Yeah, at this point I think so, just because um, the rest of the crew all knows how to do it. So... It'll alleviate a little bit of pressure. Is this going to be a homebrew campaign? Or are you playing through an adventure? What are you guys doing? I think it's going to be one of the campaigns. I think it's probably going to end up being Dragon Heist, just because it's a little different than some of the other ones. Okay. Just make sure you pay attention, because Dragon Heist, as I'm sure you know, can be very confusing. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Nolan, what about you? Anything new? Uh, nothing exciting. Pretty quiet. Uh picked up uh, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Just haven't had a chance to play it yet as I never have time to play the games I buy. So hopefully knock that out after some Easter stuff. So you probably have like a million games that are, of course, they're all digital, but they're, well, air quotes here, still in shrink wrap on your shelf, huh? Yeah, I have a bad problem of waiting till they're on sale. It was really hard not to pick up uh, what is the new Jedi game. Well, I guess the old Jedi game at this point. It's like 40% off. And I was like, yeah. I got six other games to play. I'll wait till November and buy it for cheaper. So that's usually what I do. <laughs> that's awesome. I picked up a new game, which is interesting because I haven't been all that into gaming right now or digital gaming. Uh, I picked up the Vampire the Masquerade Coteries of New York. There was a special, I don't, know, I don't want to call it the collector's edition, but it came with like an art book and a soundtrack. And then, of course, the game. Uh, and it was on sale for like 40%, I think it was 40% off. So I picked that up yesterday and played through it for about an hour. Um, it's interesting. I'm not sure it held my attention very well, but I will I'll, I'll continue to play it and see what I think. Nice. Yeah, I was kind of surprised I even decided to do it because, as I've said, I've just haven't been all that interested in it. So yeah, that's the fun and exciting stuff. But before we get started, I did want to take a moment to give a huge shout out to all the essential workers who are still going to work every day. I know the three of us are all considered essential and we know what kind of stress that adds to your life to have to go to work when all this stuff is going on. I especially want to give a huge shout out to all of those in the medical field and all the first responders, heroes one and all. So let's move on to 307 RPG news because we actually have a little bit. Uh, since the coronavirus has basically shut the world down, we have been unable to do our giveaway that we talked about locally. So we are doing it globally. Uh, in this giveaway, you will find a copy of Chicago by Nice and a set of 307 RPG stickers. Uh, I have been circulating that link on Twitter. So if you don't follow us at 307 RPG, you probably should if you want to enter the, this giveaway. There should also be a link in the show notes where you can enter. There are several different ways to enter, including, you know, liking different like my or liking the 307 on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. And, in, and sharing it with your friends. So take advantage of it. This is a fairly good-sized giveaway. I think it'd be fun. Okay, 
Let's move on to Dungeons and Dragons. There was a rules errata release this week for several books. I'm including the link to the Sage Advice column so you guys can check it out. Nolan, can you give us a quick overview on these? Sure. The For the most part, uh, Sage Advice Compendium is kind of all the stuff that they go through and answer questions on your Twitter page uh, that they have. So the while it is 19 pages, not all of it is rules changes. For the most part, it's uh, rules explained. And I think that's kind of a, a neat thing because there, you know, I felt like a lot of the stuff that I had already known, but I remember getting to a spot where I had to kind of hunt down and ask questions and track down through forums and get better explanation. And they've just kind of thrown all this stuff into a, a nice, healthy compendium. And then in there as well, it does have some links to some errated content. A lot of it dealing with like some of the side books are some corrections made to either some some verbiage or some lines. Some of it is just making things streamlined and a little bit easier. Example being like uh, racial ability for dwarves is combat training. Throwing hammer has been changed to light hammer since there wasn't one in the game. You know, it's just some of those little things that got missed. I, I believe we'll start seeing these changes quickly on some of the stuff like uh, D&D Beyond, but I don't know. I think... I think from my understanding, they are already printing these changes into the new ones. So if you have a variation in rules or something like that with somebody at your table, if they just picked up the book compared to your old one, this is why more of this stuff is coming out. But it, it mostly deals with, again, clarification. Sometimes it's convoluted and takes a little too much space or too much room for interpretation or maybe not enough. And the, Paladin spell find speed or find steed, not speed. It's not a drug thing. Uh, find steed into <laughs> the next last paragraph. Communicate with it is what it says in the steed uh, for the steed. So that there makes it say, well, you can communicate with it. And people are like, well, I can communicate with it. Does it understand what I'm saying? Can it talk back? Then it's just kind of open ended for interpretation. It now says communicate with each other. I kind of like the idea of paladin find speed. <laughs> That's pretty freaking funny right there. It's a bounty hunter it's a dog the bounty hunter class <laughs> oh i got you i'm sorry <laughs> uh one of the things that i noticed too out of it was let's see here so again each one of these things in the errata has a little hyperlink that'll pull up another book specific update or change in the xanathar's guide to everything it did do a little bit for fixing some of like uh, the arcane shot one of the things says like once per turn when you fire a magic arrow and now it's been changed to once per turn when you fire an arrow so that way it didn't always have to be like a double resource thing. Healing spirit got adjusted to be a lot more in balance, which I think is probably the biggest change out of all the books. Just because I know that was a good reason to go druid or a ranger or even lore bards were picking it up to becoming really good healers. But now it is uh, instead of just a one minute long conga line of massive healing uh the spirit now heals a number of times equal to one plus your spell casting ability modifier and then it disappears so you can you know for like in my game i'm playing a ranger with a lower wisdom than dexterity but i was getting maximum healing out of something that you know was the whole reason i had built the class was again we played a three-person party and i needed to be a healer and, and so seeing it balanced and corrected and i don't think it's overly nerfed i think it's you know you're still going to get i think best case scenario you'll get six uses out of it worst case scenario you don't have a bare bones wisdom or you're not poaching it and abusing healing and making somebody that's gone to be 
a healer or a caster or their job who's dedicated themselves to it feel inadequate. So yeah, it's it's a nice to see everything kind of at least in one spot, but especially, you know, while the rules are what the rules are, you can make them fit for your table. The, the, the questions and everything they've come up with just to clarify is really good. And I've included a link to that Sage Advice column so you guys can check out the errata. It, like, like Nolan said, it is about 19 pages and there is a lot of clarifications on rules. So this might be one of those things that you just kind of print out and have handy in case somebody, like you said, sits down with a newer copy of a player's handbook than what you have. So things to keep in mind. Thanks for that, Nolan. Um, let's see. As part of their stay-at-home, play-at-home campaign, Wizards of the Coast has been giving away some free Adventure League adventures, uh, which is really neat. And they are including some free adventures for younger players in your home. Especially with so many families being confined to their homes, this makes the potential for passing the time a little bit easier. Now, both of you have small kids at home. Uh, have either of you looked into playing any of these adventures cody have your boys ever shown any interest in it you know they definitely have shown interest in it we haven't really pushed into like D per se or any actual role-playing game per se we've mostly done what i like to call storytelling role-playing kind of prepping them both for eventually getting into that kind of stuff okay Nolan, how about you? Has either of your boys expressed any interest? Not really. I think it's more me expressing interest and trying to find a way to get them into it a little bit more. Of course, one is three and doesn't know. Uh, you know, we're still in trying to sort out what he's into yet. Uh, Xander, my oldest, is... I think he's getting there. I think he likes the idea of it. Uh, every time I turn on like the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, he falls asleep. So I think the high fantasy may not be there, but you did recommend one that adventures with muck where you're like a brave goblin. And, and that was the thing that we've talked about or I've discussed with you a little bit of trying to figure out what do you do with kids of that age and how they, you know, you don't want to scare them. You know, do you keep the monsters and stuff like that, like skeletons? So there's not a lot of like gore potentially. You just smash them in their pile of dust. How do you maybe teach a life lesson in it? Do you just let them have fun? Because I just don't know if I'm ready for my seven year old to be a, a murder hobo. Uh, <laughs> and like, why not? Do you get a really dark insight to your child a little bit earlier of like, okay, uh, if we see a bunch of dead squirrels later on, uh, we know why. So this one, uh, the Muck the Adventure one looks pretty good. And it, it did bring up a lot of things of, you know, maybe make the character be, you know, Again, so it's not, you know, Elrond sitting there intimidating the table, having more funny characters being in Goblin Town where the, the bad guys are are silly or, you know, they're going to instead of kill you and murder you, they're going to boil you for a soup like the giant, you know. And so it, it helped me curb what I was thinking, at least a little bit for writing a story for them. And, and I think I'll probably give this one a shot as soon as I can get his attention to last longer than 12 minutes. So. Right. So quick overview of this adventure with Muck. I found this on their whole stay-at-home, play-at-home. Uh, it says, meet Muck, the very bravest or goblin, and his best friend, Bird Squirrel. Adventure your way through the dank wood and search for great treasure that is rumored to be hidden far beyond. It's for players of all levels. It is an activity book. It includes uh, an enjoyable adventure hooks written by D&D's Adam Lee, puzzles, unique Dinkwood uh, goblin character sheets developed by D&D's Chris Lindsay, and modified monster stat blocks and more. Each page is made to be colored and enjoyed, so let the adventure begin. Uh, this was created actually for Extra Life, and Extra Life is a charity organization that unites gamers around the world to play games in support of their local children's Miracle Network Hospital. Since its inception in 2008, Extra Life has raised more than $30 million for sick and injured kids. 
So it's kind of a cool adventure. It's a neat idea. I'll go ahead and include the link to that adventure to the Extra Life page. You may check on the Stay at Home, Play at Home section. I thought this was one of the ones that they were giving away for free. So make sure you check that out too. Okay, let's see. That is it for D&D, unless you guys have something. I didn't see anything. That rules around was a pretty big one. Yeah. Yep. Cody, you got anything else for D&D? No, you were right. The, the rules read us pretty good chunks. That's all I saw. Okay. So let's take a walk down the Onyx Path. New releases this week for Onyx Path include the Mythical Denizens for Scion 2nd Edition and Memento More for Geist the Sin Eater 2nd Edition. Both of these products are available in PDF or POD format on DriveThruRPG. Now, these are not games that either of us have played, correct? Not I. So, uh, don't know anything about these. I know that Geist the Sin Eater is a Chronicles of Darkness game. Scion 2nd Edition is a different game altogether. Both of them use, I believe, the Story Path system, but I'm not positive on that. Um, so, yeah, new products there. The, uh, if you were one of the folks back the Scarred Lands Creature Collection on Kickstarter uh, a few months ago, you should have received an email for a digital pack this week. This is actually a really cool pack. I didn't, I wasn't, at first I was kind of like, eh, but then I got to thinking about it, and especially with how we're playing now, this is pretty cool. So this this pack includes PDF posters of the battle maps that are included in the book, bonus poster battle maps that were released as part of the uh, Kickstarter campaign, which is, I mean, those are neat. This is where I really like it. It's the virtual tabletop versions of all the battle maps, virtual tabletop tokens of all the monsters in the collection, PDF of creature cards to show your players when they encounter a creature from the collection, and a, quotes here, no background PNG files of all the monster art. So this means this artwork is super usable in things like Roll20 or Astral or Fantasy Grounds, I think is another one. So, yeah, I was pretty excited to see that that I had some virtual tabletop options to start using in, in our games. As for printing and shipping of the physical book, well, we're at the mercy of the coronavirus. Hopefully we'll see it sooner rather than later. I know when it came to the printing of Chicago by Night folios, which I ordered almost two weeks ago now, which is unusual not to get a shipping notification from DriveThruRPG. Usually if you order a POD thing, you get the notification fairly quickly that they've got it printed and they're shipping. I actually just got a notification this morning that that book is shipping. So sounds like, or seems like possibly that their POD stuff is a little bit behind. And I'd imagine, again, they're at the mercy of their printers and whomever's doing their shipping. I didn't see a whole lot else for Onyx Path. Do you guys have anything else for them? I can't think of anything. Uh, I know you try and catch up with the morning, uh, Monday morning notes, and it's been nice of them to give us a shout out here and there. So we do appreciate that as well. We do. Yeah, that's a good point. They've had they've done a couple of shout outs to us these last couple of weeks uh, for the Scarland stuff that we did, and we greatly appreciate that. Let's see, Modifius. Uh, Modifius just announced the new Discipline and Blood Sorcery cards for Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition. Are, they are now available for pre-order over at Modifius.com. This product really reminds me of the class-specific cards that you can get for D&D, like the Paladin cards, the Cleric cards. The deck includes 121 full-color cards, 80 Discipline, and 40 Blood Sorcery cards. Each card features essential rules and description text to make for easy reference and a page reference to the relevant section in the core rulebook. They're going to be packaged in a duo-tuck box that makes for easy carrying to your gaming table and includes a PDF of both color and grayscale versions of the cards that you can go ahead and print and use now. The PDF format is delivered to you at the time of purchase. 
This gives you the opportunity, like I said, to print and play right away. Keep in mind that Modifius has suspended all shipping of physical items until we're through this whole pandemic, or at least for a while. Uh, I have a link to the cards in the show notes. What do you guys think? Are you a fan of cards for your games? I, for me personally, I think it depends on what I'm playing. For something like this, I really like it just because I, I'm not as familiar with it. It's a lot harder for me to look up stuff and just not know what it is. And it would, and you don't have as many. And I think that's the key. You know, if I'm playing a wizard and I have an entire spell book, I mean, and you need every card in the deck, I think I could get a little overwhelmed. But here where it's like, you know, I have three or four, maybe five disciplines max, it would be nice just to have it there for pace of play versus like, oh, oh, crap, you need me to do a what roll? And now I got to go find it. So, and, and they look like they're really high quality. And I think that's a, a key thing for them too, is like, I, I, I like the way they're printed. They look good. And again, if, if I don't need a lot of them, you know, if I only have three or four spells, then it makes it a lot easier just to have it as a reference there. And, and player sheets don't have a lot of room to write spell descriptions. So That's true. That's very true. What about you, Cody? Do you like spell cards? You know, I have most of the ones for 5th edition. I try to use them when I can. I, I think they're great for refreshers for veteran players and or early players. But like Nolan said, it's one of those things where if I'm going to use them, I'm going to pull out the cards that I have set for that day based off of my cleric set or what I've you know got in my spell book for my wizard and not like bring the whole deck to the table because they can get kind of crazy. Yeah, I you know, I I bought a couple of them for D&D and I found that typically I forgot I had them. Like I, we'd sit down to play and I'd be going along and I'm like we wrap up the session i'd look up on the shelf and go oh damn it i forgot about those and i always forgot about them so i i'm not sure if uh i don't know i'm a completionist i'll probably buy them well and i think i think if it's if you had the printable forms it'd be a lot easier like again i come over and i Mm -hmm. buy your deck and then i got to put them away and it's it becomes a process if i had a little pdf printable one i would you know if I was playing a wizard and I had that kind of stuff, I would probably build my own spell book out of the fun of it. If I knew it was going to be a longer campaign and I could just print them, you know, I think that would be a neat thing of having, Oh yeah, no, these are my first level spells and here's what I have. And here's the description. And I would actually have a physical, you know, little binder or journal or something with my spells. I would, I would probably use that. So I think that's another thing I like about a lot is like, Hey, here's your spells. Here's a printable thing. Take it, hang on to it, keep it in your binder, keep it with your stuff. Don't give it to me at the end of the day and and then forget to take it out next time or whatever. So, right. And I, and I will say, I think they were more useful before, before Beyond. I think with the advent of Beyond and having them all digitally, that's been nice. I felt like mine were extremely useful when I had to flip through a book or find the right one in a book. Just having the cards made it a lot easier. But having that digital content kind of makes it hard to, you know, you put you have it on your character sheet and it's super easy. So that's a good point. I didn't even think about that, especially with the advent of D&D Beyond, which is something you know, all three of us use. So, yeah, I didn't even think about that one. I'm still terrible about it. So, <laughs> it's just, I guess it's just me. So I, st- I still own all the ones for 5th edition. Don't feel bad, Patrick. Okay. <laughs> they look like they have a price of about 25 Great British Great Britain pounds. Um, I don't remember what the... It's going to be close to $50 for this set, which seems a little steep to me for a set of cards. I mean, even a commander deck I pay about 39 for. It is a lot of cards, I will say that. Yeah, it's 121 but I get about the same with a commander deck. Yeah, but you would actually use this. 
Touche, Good call, Nolan. <laughs> You're well, right. The commander I think some of this would be easier too, though, because I mean, usually you don't have people doubling down on disciplines, or you know what I mean. Like, it's very rare yeah. in those kind of groups, so every person could get a card type of thing. So, you know, if you're if you're playing a D and D game and it, five people need fireball or you know whatever, then it's like uh, okay, we'll just hand it around. Or so I don't know. Right. This this is something that I feel like you could probably pitch in and pay you know for the table or something like that if you had a group going. And again, depending on the length of campaign, you could find value in it. If you're going to play one character for a year, you know you'll get your money's worth. Sure. I'm trying to find a currency converter real quick so I can find out what the uh, cost is because now I'm really curious. I will say sometimes, still in 5th edition, it is nice that they did the uh, magical item cards and sometimes I'll still use those. So it's about $31 if, if this converter is correct. So that's, that's better than I thought. Okay, I'll shut up now. So that's probably going to be in Patrick's future. There you go. <laughs> now that cost is no longer a concern. <laughs> oh, geez. Another thing about Modifius is End is they had a big Easter sale on uh, Drive Through RPG. You could pick up core rule books for games like Octon Cthulhu, as well as the Conan uh, game that we talked about a couple weeks ago, for an extremely reasonable price. I believe the Conan game was six dollars, four dollars, something like that, and Octon Cthulhu was around seven. So they had a few a few games out there on Drive Through RPG for their Easter sale that were I want to say it was like seventy five percent off. So if you are one of those folks like Nolan who always waits for the gaming companies to have big sales in November, this could be a great opportunity for you to pick up a couple of source books for cheap um, that you might be interested in but didn't want to pay the fifty dollars for. Okay, that is all I have. I didn't. Kickstarter, Cody. Do you have anything for Kickstarter? Uh, you know, I think we talked about Frosthaven last week. Yep, we sure did. And I think it cracked seven million recently. That's a lot. But, but you know, that's well. If we don't have any more there, I guess it's time to move into our topic of the night. So, as we did last week, we were talking about. Uh, we started our look into. Things inspired by Critical Role. I don't want to just say Critical Role because it's not, you know, we're not necessarily talking about the show. So last week we talked about the Taldorai campaign source book. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about a class and a subclass that were featured on Critical Role and Matt Mercer uh, either created or had heavy influence in. And those being the Bloodhunter class and the Gunslinger subclass for fighters now if i'm not mistaken gunslinger wasn't necessarily created by matt but it was definitely had a heavy influence in it is that correct i don't yeah i don't know the origin of it my my guess and my thought is i feel like that's probably more of a pathfinder thing and they kind of had to come up with a conversion so percy could could continue and i could be wrong in that there because it does feel like it's not something we usually see and D for a while anyway what do, you, do you know if uh, matt mercer created the gunslinger class i mean or is it i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure i do know that in 3.5 or pathfinder there were definitely gunslinger type classes i remember there being an actually like a subclass for a paladin called a holy gun you know so i know that there were those around and i know they played that before they transferred into fifth edition for the for the show so it is very okay. possible it's something that he you know kind of tweaked to make work like nolan said 
Okay. I, I believe that's what it was. Um, cause I remember like in some of the earlier stories too, it was like, Hey, we, we see how that works now. That doesn't necessarily make sense. Remind us. And, and like him and him and Talos don't have a moment where they would go back and forth and be like, okay, we need to update this little part. And so. Okay. So let's start with the gunslinger subclass. And again, this is a fighter subclass and it's important to remember this is not a class all, all to itself. Uh, the one thing that I also want to point out is that neither of these options are available in the Taldorai campaign source book. I know when I purchased the book, I was kind of excited because I thought we were going to get gunslinger and I think I knew beforehand or before it arrived at least that it wasn't in there. Uh, which was fine because uh, it was quickly there was a ua and then it was on dnd beyond so it's it was able to be played fairly fast so let's talk about gunslinger cody why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about the gunslinger subclass so the gunslinger subclass is a fighter subclass um, they are built around of course uh, firearms in nature they get um some pretty interesting things along with like the normal subclass stuff. They get firearm proficiency and gunsmith when you take that, uh, have them as a martial art type for a fighter. Uh, you also get adept marksman at third level, which allows you to uh, pick up some trick shots, which have kind of a, uh, uh, battle master type feel to them. Wouldn't you say Nolan? Yeah, I th I think trick shots is uh I think it maybe is a bad name for it because they are more of a like you said a, a battle master maneuver feels like that you know a, a disarming shot doesn't feel like a trick or a dead eye shot uh, you know but yeah so the the trick shots are very similar to maneuvers and you know and then it follows the normal curve with getting your extra attacks through the fighter subclass and then you end up with things like uh, quick draw which allows you to draw and stow uh, firearms um, and increase your initiative by your proficiency bonus, which is always, you know, fun for that quick gunslinger type feel. Now, I know that like, we, you know, Patrick got to play one. And I think, you know, for me, like I said, guns have not been something I've been super familiar with it. So all of a sudden having a pistol in a dungeon and stuff like that, I always felt was really awkward because it's like, well, pretty certain like the first round of combat you would pull the entire you know underdark to you because of echoing and explosions and going off um but you know that's well, stuff there is kind of interesting i have to agree with you on that one it's one of those things where it's something that we don't maybe always necessarily think about like firing off a firearm in an enclosed space Oh, I, oh, I thought about it. <laughs> it's a great way to deafen everybody. No, I know you did, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I know you played your character that way, but I'm just saying, yeah. I mean, from a realistic thing of like, hey, you guys cleared out this room and that door's locked and you open up and there's six goblins sitting around completely oblivious to this shit that just happened. You know, like you would go yeah. investigate, like 30 rooms would go investigate at one time. Now, again, I think that's like when you see like somebody cast Thunder Wave, it's very adamant of you can hear this happening 400 yards away or, you know what I mean? Like it's a crack of thunder, you know? So there are like, it kind of suggests that there's consequences for using them. So I'm surprised to maybe see they didn't have like a, a silencer or like a, a muzzle or you know, some sort of muffling ability for it. Um, I, I'll add on the, uh, the big part of this class uh, is obviously the guns. Uh, one of the cooler things is the grit system. And that is the the number of times that you can use those uh, said trick shot maneuvers. And I really like the idea that you get them 
kind of as a daily resource. Um, but when you, uh, you also can earn them back when you get a natural 20 or when you get a killing blow on a creature. So I, I think no, that... Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not just a creature. It's usually a creature of significant threat at the DM's discretion. Gotcha. I would just give it to him when it's whatever. <laughs> and, I, and I'm pretty sure that's what Cody did when he was DMing it, but I did want to make sure that we called that out as a distinction because I don't want people to be thinking like, whoa, I just got the, the, the killing shot. And then a DM be like, uh... Well, it was a goblin, and you're level twenty. You don't get grit for that. <laughs> no, and and I think it's one of those things of I, I think it's anything that's in combat. Uh, I would probably do. Uh, in my mind, it goes back to like World of Warcraft. Like if you kill a squirrel, you don't just get to go out and like slaughter a herd of buffalo so you can get your grit points back. So I'm I'm assuming <laughs> that's what they mean. Because I mean, if it's something right. of a, any kind of deadly encounter or any kind of encounter that you are going to get attacked, then I would allow it. But yeah, just popping off, shooting a slug or there's a snake and I'm going to one shot it, waste a bullet, get a grip point back just so people couldn't abuse it. I, I think that's I, fair. I do feel like as a resource, it felt like it was like when you played it, Patrick, I felt like it came back enough that it it like had a good flow to it, I guess is what I'm trying well, to say. It, and I think the thing to keep in mind as, as someone who played this and played it for a while, uh, a couple of things that I learned about it is the, the economy of the, of the, of the class itself was difficult. You were keep, trying to keep track of not just your grip points, but also your action surge because you are a fighter and, and it really, there was a lot to keep track of. Uh, I made it a point. I tried to, I tried to play the character in such a way that it was interesting and obviously annoying because he was deaf and he had to yell at everybody. But I like I made a point to mention that he had X amount of bags of ammunition at all times and, and was reloading all the time. And because that is a big deal with this. And, and I know some DMs are just like, oh, it's fine. You have your ammunition. Well, I remember the days of World of Warcraft when hunters would run out of ammunition in the middle of a raid and how they actually changed that so that never happened again. And I didn't want that change, so to speak, because I wanted to try to play the class as true to it as possible. Uh, so I did find trying to keep track of like your action surge, your grip points and things like that could be overwhelming, especially because you're not only keeping track of that, your weapons have some numbers that you need to keep track of as well, such as your reload. A pistol has a reload of four, meaning you get four shots before you have to reload that weapon. And it takes a full action until later to reload that weapon. So those are, I mean, so you're constantly trying to keep track of things. The grit, there was, I mean, only a few times that I feel like I, that I feel like the grit was worth using. I tried using disarming shot a couple of times. I think I tried to use uh, what was it, uh, bullying shot maybe, and it didn't always. I mean, it felt like it was. It felt like it very seldom worked. But I think that's probably some of just what you choose to use too. And that could be. You might be absolutely right. I think it was piercing shot that I actually used the most. So, because I know dead eye, you can spend a grip point to get. Uh, advantage on attack rolls so when you need to hit mm -hmm. i think that really helps and i think that's part of uh you know you don't see it at the high end but what about the classes it feels like when you when you get hot or on a roll like it's it's kind of like that same thing like man you can't miss today type mentality because uh you know eventually you score a crit on a 19 or 20 and you regain a grit point on a 19 or right. 20 now all of a sudden you're sp i'll spend a grit 
I'll have advantage on the attack roll. I got a better shot at getting that critical hit. You know, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I, I spent a crit, I get advantage, I get a crit. I'm going to go ahead and get my grit back. And I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like you just kind of get this chain uh, going. And then on the same side of you roll a couple of misfires and all of a sudden you've got no working guns. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you're absolutely right because there was a couple of times where I was able to get that that chain going and it's like, wow, holy crap, just shoot, 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 shoot. And that was great. But unlike other weapons where you get to add all kinds of modifiers to your damage, you're basically just rolling the die for damage. You're not going to add a whole lot of a whole lot else to it. Yeah, and that, and again, they are stronger weapons. They are. Your average pistol does one d10 piercing, which is a great die. I'm not saying it's not. And then it's a, a musket, two-handed longsword. Right, a musket will jump up to a one d12 piercing. Uh, you can get as high if you have a bad news, which is craft at DM's discretion for 2d12 piercing, which, I mean, but that's a reload of one. So you're constantly reloading it. So other things to keep in mind about firearms is, you know, as we're talking about them is, yes, you have the limited damage dice, you know, 1d8 to 1d12 is where they're about. The other thing is, is the reload. Again, it every firearm has a reload um, number that you have to be cognizant of. So if you have a palm pistol, it's got a reload of one. That means you get to shoot it once before it has to be reloaded. And then they also have misfire. And Nolan, you kind of touched on misfiring a little bit ago as you were talking about uh, chaining. So your misfire die is, or your misfire number, sorry, is something you have to keep in mind of too. Because if you roll your misfire number lower, that means your weapon just misfired and it has to be cleared or repaired before it can be used again. And that takes playing it. But if you're the kind of person who wants to do like mega damage and you want to do like a, a booming blade into with green flame sword or... Uh, divine smite and all of a sudden you're doing gazillion damage it's not going to happen with this subclass do you guys disagree or agree with that uh you're the one that played it so i don't know <laughs> i feel like the potential's there just because it gets things but it's also very late in the game so i could see the frustration early on yeah for sure i could see it i know that there was times where i felt like the um arcane archer or even the barbarian were just destroying things and i'm like ah, i rolled an eight <laughs> so i don't know i think it's a neat class though i but i think there's a lot of stuff that you have to keep track of well i th I would have to point into that i mean especially since we're talking about critical role with this i i really enjoy what matt did with the gunslinger in his game where guns weren't a common item so they're it drew some actual role play out of the characters just based off of that. Like when Talison had to go get ammunition, we had the birth of Victor, the black powder merchant, which is like apparently one of the yeah. iconic Matt Mercer characters now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, it's nice because it gives that flair and that extra chance for you as a DM to um, role play with your characters and whatnot. And yeah, you're also, I will, I will say you are also supposed to add your dexterity modifier to your shots, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's that was the other thing. Thank you for mentioning that, because that was the other thing I wanted to talk about, because typically fighters aren't always, dexterity is not exactly the top class typically for a fighter. I know we've talked about fighters before in that it depends on your weapon that you're going to go either strength or dexterity. But usually when you're playing a fighter, you think strength. Am I wrong or am I right? Uh, depends on who you are. I like dexterity. <laughs> 
I think that there's <laughs> definitely that like thought of, oh yeah, he's a he's a fighter, he's strong. Um, but I definitely have seen a paradigm shift in the last few years, and we've seen a lot more agility. I've seen a lot more agility fighters, which I think are just as you know interesting, so to speak. Like you get that finesse fighter i always think of like uh oh good lord i can't think now and nega montoya you know that the musketeers that very dexterous fighter not a physical strength fighter but you know polar opposite i could see the other way too but i think that's why it's the catch-all classes fighters just it is what you you have so many options with it because it is kind of the most basic it, it's the most common, I suppose, combat that we're familiar with. So it is what it means to you. I mean, they're great archers. They're great tanks. They're great. Uh, I think what they eventually announced that, you know, Dritz was not, you know, he's he's a fighter uh, and he's high decks. And so, um, yeah, anyway, uh, Gunslinger aside, I, I do feel like um, that kind of in summation, the, the things that Patrick talked about is, is a crap ton to take care of to control the the reloads the misfires uh again a lot of the misfires are on a one um and depending on your dm you roll a one you throw your sword and you're not attacking for a round anyway so so some of that stuff could be but again if if it again it's a streaky class uh if you if you get hot it's fun if it goes south and all your weapons are jammed uh you really wonder why the heck you're even playing so but i mean it's really I think it does lean to some really interesting uh, role-playing opportunities because it, uh, just the idea of, and you see it in movies a lot, you know, the weapon runs out of ammunition as the big bad evil guy's coming at you or, or jams and the hero has to desperately try to clear the weapon or reload the weapon before the bad guy gets to him. You do get moments like that when you play this class. Um, overall, I thought the Gunslinger was a fun class to play. Would I try it again? Sure, why not? But I try most things more than once, so there you go. I think it needed a movie clip feat. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Give him an a- extra action surge or something like that to unload the clip or something. Right. <laughs> okay, so the other class I wanted to we wanted to discuss tonight was actually the class that Matt Mercer created, and that is the Blood Hunter class. Nolan, why don't you tell us a little bit about this class? So the the Blood Hunter, uh, when you look at it for the first time, uh, feels very similar to kind of the Witcher style person with some strange background that has basically been created, not necessarily experimented on, but taking things to enhance abilities uh, in order to fight monsters by kind of becoming the monster a little bit. Um, This thing has gone through multiple uh, iterations until I think a a recent update kind of was the the final spin on it. It is very much in line with the the fighter style. Rocks the D10, has that kind of fighting style. Now, I did get to play the Blood Hunter in a one-shot that Nolan ran. If I had to choose between Blood Hunter or Gunslinger, I'd probably choose Blood Hunter. I like the idea of sacrificing yourself a little bit for the power. 
uh, not so much as like a warlock where they make a pact with something, but you're drawing upon the strength of your own blood to do this. And I, I made it, a, in fact, I use crossbows. Um, I made it a point to every time we went into combat to almost over exaggerate the idea of him drawing like the, the tip of the arrow, the tip of the bolt across his arm to draw that blood uh, to get that power. I, I thought when it comes to role playing, it was just there was just so many different opportunities for it. So I really, really enjoyed this class. Now, there's a couple of class features that I wanted to talk about. Um, real quick, and that is, let me jump to them here. They're different Blood Hunter orders, I should say. So there's the Order of the Ghost Slayer, which is supposedly the oldest of the orders, having rediscovered the secrets of blood magic and refined them for combat against the Scourge of Undeath. Uh, there's a bunch of different things in here. Of course, you get, you know, stuff at third level and so on, seventh level and so on and so forth. I don't want to go into a whole lot of that. Just wanted to touch on the orders real quick. The Order of the Lycan. Uh, it says of the many terrible curses that plague the realm, few are as ancient or as feared as lycanthropy. Passed through blood, this affliction seeds a host with the savage strength and hunger for violence of a wicked beast. Then you have the order of mutant, order of the mutant. Sorry, the process of a hunter's bane is a powerful, scarring, and sometimes fatal experience. Those that survive find themselves irrevocably changed and enhanced. Some found this experience exalting, embracing the ability to alter one's own physiology through a combination of hemocraft and corrupted alchemy. And then there's the Order of the Profane Soul, which those who have taken the Order of the Profane Soul have seen the limits of hemocraft against some of the most ancient and cruel fiends and terrors of the world. Unable to pursue beings of such power, creatures able to vanish amongst the nobles without a trace or bend the mind of the most stalwart warrior with but a glance. This order trusted in their resilience and and delved into this same well of corrupting arcane knowledge, making packs with lesser evils to become better or to better combat lesser evils to better combat the greater. So, making packs with lesser yeah, that makes more sense. Sorry, didn't read that sentence very well. So, I, there's really neat and, and order of the profane soul really sounds like uh, packed. So, there's some really neat orders that you can take as a blood hunter that. Man, they, it's just some really cool thematic stuff here. It does give an opportunity for a lot more options. Uh, just things that we haven't necessarily seen in the game. The mutant kind of the that would be kind of an interesting thing to play to because it gets pluses and minuses for taking on that mutagen. Uh, the lichen is, you know, if you got a werewolf addiction, uh, lets you scratch that itch. Ghost Slayer is kind of the classic, almost Paladin-esque, because I think they eventually get like radiant damage to their right. Um, and then, yeah, Profane Soul with the Warlock, kind of light, maybe a more combat-heavy Warlock, like an Eldritch Knight uh, version of a Warlock. So pretty cool. The <laughs> I think playing it as a crossbow person is a lot smarter, especially if you're going to be damaging yourself and losing your maximum hit points. <laughs> that. Staying as far away as possible is pretty smart. Uh, I think in the, I think in the show, uh, Talison played one that dual wielded and that, yeah, I, th I don't know if that's part of what got him dead, but I know he's no longer there and it would be a little nervous every time he had to activate a blood rate twice and just go down those hit points with the way healing is in fifth edition. Yeah, it felt safer to me to play something along the crossbow and stay at range because I think you and I even talked Nolan where it's like, you know, I'm going to do this. I don't want to get hit a lot. So I'm going to stay back here as much as I can. 
Yes. I really enjoyed it, though. And in fact, if I were to play a character now, I I think that would be Aiden was talking to me about rolling up a character and I couldn't convince him to do a Dunamancer. And I tried to convince him to do a Bloodhunter and he didn't want to do it either. I told him that I really enjoyed Bloodhunter and I thought it would be fun to try. Dunamancer is another one that I want to try, which is, of course, a Wild Mountain book. But I haven't gotten to see that in action yet notice the yet because i think i'm going to see it soon in a game as an npc but whatever so yeah those are the two classes that have been influenced class slash subclass that have been influenced or created by matt mercer slash critical role do we have anything else we want to add to either of these i don't think so on my end yeah i think it hits that class fantasy really well uh seeing vin diesel play like one of the first rounds of it for uh his his movie uh, was pretty fun um and then, yeah, you can draw a lot of connections to The Witcher. And, and, and I think we can understand that it would be fun to play one. Um, I think it would be hard to play one that's not, you know, we talk about getting pigeonholed into kind of classes that do things or what you expect, you know, the bard to be, well, play me a song or sing a song or this one here, you know, it's like this thing screams, loner, dark, brooding, uh, not very talkative, you know. And, and so I could see that being maybe a challenge of trying to play something that's not just a, you know, a monster slaying butthole to your group. So, but it'd also be fun to be like, oh yeah, no, I'm a super happy guy, fairly decent charisma, likes people, blah, blah, blah. Time to go into a fight and all of a sudden you gain these like mongoloid arms because you're a mutant. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that completely. <laughs> mongoloid arms, nice. <laughs> Hulk out, man. Yeah, uh, I really liked, I enjoyed both of them. I enjoyed playing Gunslinger, but again, the, the where I ran into issues was trying to keep track of everything. And and, and it's true with any D&D classes, knowing when to use your stuff at the right moment, because you don't want to be out of action surge when you fight the big guy. You don't want to be out of grit when you fight the big guy, when you need to do those trick shots. So there's always that. You know, I'd, I'd sit there and wrestle in my head. Do I use it now? Do I wait? Do I let the barbarian cut the head off before I even fire a shot? Because he's probably going to. What do I do here? There's always that, you know, and that's true with any D&D class. I know that. Blood Hunter was just, I, th- I think it was just more fun, to be, to be completely honest. I had a lot of fun. It was just a one shot, too. And I just had a lot of fun playing that. And, and I played it more of a almost... I mean, he was a nice guy, but he was almost psychotic when it came to fighting. And it was like he really relished the idea of of cutting himself to get that blood to empower his his um, his actions. So I I don't know. I just really enjoyed playing the Blood Hunter. Again, if I had a choice right now, that would probably be the class I would play. Cody, what are your final thoughts? I I think they both are fun classes, having watched them both be played on critical role having seen uh, the gunslinger played in a game that i dm'd um haven't seen the blood hunter yet actually played on my table or played it but i I think they're both great classes i think they were done well they both are very different feels than what we had before in their realm of things so that's kind of cool well cool all right, guys. Well, that wraps up this week's episode for uh, our, our look into Critical Role. Next week, we are going to be doing kind of a deeper dive into the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. 
So we'll be brushing up on all that to give you our look at the book and kind of tell you what we think of it. Um, so we've reached that point of the show, unless you guys have to tell people how they can get a hold of us. Nolan? Uh, I am on Twitter at nlemires. And Cody? I am on Twitter at Alpha LCD. And of course, I'm Patrick, and you can find me at just about all the social medias at 307RPG. Remember to check out the show notes if you want to enter the contest to win a couple of the, or not a couple, but win this set of books. Um, it's going to be, you know, fairly nice size package that shows up at your door if you win. So keep that in mind and make sure you check the show notes. Until then, that's all for this week's folks. We look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.